This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. For Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. Here's an important tip, not just during the transitioning of your career, but really for the ongoing management of your career as well. Focus your job search on the starting line, not the finish line. Well, what exactly does that mean? Think of it this way. Once you decided to become a physician, you might say the beginning, the middle, and the end of your career, your entire work life, they were all in sight. They were all in sight because they were basically all the same. First of all, medical practice is pretty unchanging. And second, the patients you see, the volume, the actual day-to-day is also pretty unchanging. Of course, you need to learn new things. You need to adopt varying best practice models, adjust to the latest EHR, perhaps acquire some new equipment, new formularies. But at the end of the day, as an old and wise physician friend of mine admonished me one day, never forget, Bob, it's always going to be piecework. Well, think about how your career focus began. Your educational and your career paths were mostly defined by the rigid and rigorous process of medical education and training. Your biggest choice may have been your specialty, and then whether or not you wanted to pursue fellowship training or some further subspecialization, but the options were pretty few. At each juncture, however, your focus was the finish line, that is, Where will this take you? Where will you end up? And the steps you needed to be able to cross that finish line. But consider this. Outside medical practice, the finish line is usually a distant mirage if it's anything visible at all. The finish line is also nearly always a moving target. So while while finish lines can be amorphous and murky or frankly not even existent, What's important in the non-clinical career world is getting to the starting line. Where do you begin? How do you begin? How do you get started? Frankly, that is all that is important because unlike medical practice, the start and the finish are probably not even connected. Again, consider medical practice. You see or expect a certain endpoint. And that endpoint is highly definable because it's identical or nearly identical to what you're doing today and to where you began. In the non-clinical world, if you're doing exactly the same thing 10 or 15 or 20 years consistently, you're not only in a rut, your career has probably stalled, if you're lucky, if it's not completely fallen off the rails. This is a true story. Think about a fellow who began his career at Harvard Medical School in the class of 75. His career was set. I'm sure he saw a finish line during those early years. However, fate, not choice, altered his promising medical career away from clinical practice and towards a new start in research. Yet, continuing to look at starting lines, he began offering some political articles to New Republic magazine. In time, he became one of the most respected conservative voices in American journalism and a leading voice in conservative opinion. Though his career and his life ended early and unexpectedly, he proved a willingness, if not an eagerness, to focus on what he could start rather than where he would finish. By the way, his name was Charles Krauthammer. When you focus on starting things, you inherently create options and opportunities. Focusing too much on where we finish creates constriction and frustration. 
Few finish lines in the non-clinical world stay in place. They become moving targets. And when all our preparation no longer leads us to that desired finish, well, that certainly is going to be frustrating. How many of you plan to retire this year or next year or the year after that? What has COVID-19 done to your plans? Are you now saying, I need or want out now? Or conversely, are you feeling trapped? In reality, whatever you do, do it not as a condition, but rather as a choice. So if you choose to make a new start, don't expect that to be totally absent of frustrations. Consider the serial entrepreneur who has a need to start and restart again and again, and likely again. For this personality type, failure is actually a useful building block on a winding pathway to success. Yet, by keeping your focus on what you can begin, rather than where you will finish, like that entrepreneur, you will keep your thinking fresh and vibrant and most likely lead to success. Let me add this. Whether you want to be an entrepreneur or a W-2 employee, the process of transitioning is exactly the same. The process of starting something is exactly the same. The only real difference is, well, the difference is where you actually start. Entrepreneurship is a progression. A W-2 employee, well, it's a binary act. You either are employed or, or you aren't. Let me give you another example of starting and starting and starting again. This this person wasn't an entrepreneur per se, but consider a young man who began a dismal political career when he was first defeated in his bid to run for his state's legislature. He then refocused on a political appointment, a job where he did succeed, but nearly simultaneously his personal business failed. He refocused yet again and started out to pursue elected office and won, but shortly thereafter he suffered literally a nervous breakdown. His life continued in a boom and bust spiral, living on a roller coaster for nearly 28 years. Yet, ever focusing on starting something, he again decided to run for political office. Oh, have you heard this story before? Do you know who I'm talking about? It was Abraham Lincoln. Focusing on beginnings, on the starting line, forces you to take positive steps to advance. When I was very young, a senior executive in one of the largest department store groups in the world at that time took me under his wing. His advice to me was very simple, very straightforward. Bob, he said, sell yourself to the highest bidder every day. Well, I never took him literally, but rather more figuratively. Always be looking for the next great opportunity. That was his real message. And that's what led me to three different posts in retail management, running a daily newspaper, joining four different hospital corporations, working with the largest health information technology vendor in the world, and into private consulting, and eventually entrepreneurship, wherein today many of my acquaintances refer to me simply as a serial entrepreneur. Might I have been more successful, had I led a more stable career? Well, possibly. Might, have, might I have been happier? No way. So part of your challenge is to decide what mix, what relative balance of success and happiness is important to you. Regardless, being too focused on the finish line almost always leads to lethargy, to daydreaming about where you want to end up while your day-to-day -day accomplishments seem to diminish in their stimulation of your intellect. You may become mired in the muck of indecision about how to start your journey. And certainly there are those corporate players who've been with the same company for 20 or even 30 years, but seldom are they in the same job in which their tenure began. 
I have an old friend today who's struggling with trying to leave his employer of the past dozen or so years. He's at the VP level, still young, eager, and full of creativity, but the perception of him in the marketplace is that he's uninspired, unmotivated. After all, why hasn't he moved more often? That's the question he needs to figure out how to answer. Regardless of how many times you've reinvented yourself, of course we need and want to have goals. But trying to shape your new non-clinical career around a specific endpoint, exactly what job do I want? Well, will that keep you from leaping from the starting line when the gun for the race is fired? I wrote recently about the difference between using a compass to guide your journey and a roadmap. Roadmap thinking is entirely focused on the endpoint. It sometimes rewards you for driving past rewarding points of interest on your journey. Compass thinking, on the other hand, allows you to alter your course and take advantage of every useful and valuable stop along the way. The same is true when you focus on the starting line rather than the finish line. Another way to maintain what I'll call an effective focus on managing your career would be to develop a career life cycle strategy. From my experience, which I base on my own literal experiences, direct experience with clients, and observational and investigative experience of the marketplace, I see several time-driven decision points in nearly every career relationship, and I call this your career life cycle. So consider these timelines. In a broad sense, I break my career life cycle into three groups, three to five years, five to seven years, and beyond seven years. Then I look at the individual years within those cycles. In starting a job, year one, I often say the first year you're just trying to find the bathrooms. This is your getting your feet wet year, and much of it, if not all of year one, may be considered your honeymoon. You can literally ask the occasional stupid question, you can make some mistakes, and you can make common sense suggestions other than the organization may be afraid to make for political reasons. This is a great time to work on your MBWA. Do you know what MBWA is? Well, it's a term coined by management guru Tom Peters, and it stands for management by walking around. In other words, walk around, leave your office, leave your desk, learn who people are, what they do, and let them get to know you. Success in year one is often measured by simply having people like you, find you helpful, and to stake out your range of knowledge and expertise. Enjoy your year one. Then comes year two. Well, now it's time to actually get to work. If you manage year one well, you can identify the power players and you're liked by them. You know the political landscape and you know what's going to fly and what's going to crash and burn. And if you've been really successful and you know both where the minefields are located and where at least a few of the bodies have been buried, year two is time to get started really doing something. Get your plans developed and approved. Build support for your objectives and start taking action steps. Go do something. Then it's year three. This is your year of reckoning. It's time to paint a clear picture of your success or your successes. It's time to define your accomplishments in concrete terms of the problems you've addressed, the goals you've accomplished, and the value, the metrics of each of your actions. Year three is your barometer for how you're fitting in and how and if you will continue to fit in the organization. Based on your year three accomplishments, new opportunities should emerge, salary or bonus bumps should occur, perhaps even a new title and certainly expanded responsibilities. Year three is a time for critical decision making. Why? 
because you've completed a cycle, a life cycle in your career. You've gone from newbie to worker B to an experienced executive. So what's next? Your decisions are these. Do you take my early mentor's advice and sell yourself to the higher bidder? Or do you commit yourself to building and expanding on those initial three years of success? If your decision is to leave, then you'll need to develop a transition plan. You'll develop a combination of networking and executive recruiter contacts, and you'll use your current position to expand your market exposure and status. And if you do this, plan on a six to nine month period of transition. On the other hand, if you decide to remain, now we're starting year four but you'll need to revert to year two mentality. In other words, you're back to planning, developing a new set of goals, new problems to solve, but now your objectives should be bigger, should be bolder, and you should move more quickly from development to implementation. Both your past success and your expanded organizational knowledge should help you speed up these processes. Shorten your timelines in order to begin implementing during year four. As before, keep track of your metrics. Don't just look at final accomplishments, but consider each milestone as another go, no go, leave or stay decision point. Now we're into year five. This is now a year of major accomplishments. Your goals, your objectives, your problem solving should be at its highest and most valuable level to your organization, as they should also be in the marketplace. Much like year three, you have decisions to make. I recommend basing those decisions on your career movement, your advancement, and your trajectory in the organization. I'll also say you want to pair those decision factors with your personal objectives. Crossing the five-year barrier begins to cast you as being comfortable, perhaps too comfortable. Certainly, those 12 months between year five and year six are quite important to your career advancement, regardless of whether you see internal movement as advancing or if you decide it's time for your next new start. Year six then may be your last comfortable year. If you've remained with the same company, you're likely either moving into new engagements, perhaps another new title, or you're seeing yourself being taken for granted. One of those two directions. In year six, ask yourself, what you're doing new. Are those around you getting more recognition? Are they getting better assignments or more attention? Are you really in the game, so to speak, or are you just showing up? At year seven, this is your year of major commitment. If you remain, you're crossing the threshold of no return. Every day after year seven, leaving your company will become more and more difficult both as an internal activity and because of how you'll be viewed externally. Internally, look around and ask if you're the oldest person in, on the team. And I don't just mean in age, but in tenure. If you are, you may be viewed by some coworkers as somewhat of an anchor to new ideas. When you're speaking with others about project issues, do you find yourself saying, uh, but we've tried that before, several years ago? Do you find yourself reliving old rivalries? The point is this. How much baggage are you carrying? The more, the more likely you are to need to move on. Regardless of your reasons, if you're looking for a fresh start, be prepared to explain very clearly and succinctly why you've remained somewhere for seven years. Being able to define your tenure as a string of successive accomplishments, each solving a recognized problem or accomplishing a necessary goal, 
and the value of those actions will paint you as someone constantly on the hunt to new and important things. On the other hand, stumbling through some description of very positive work environments, rewarding relationships, and being a perfect fit with family responsibilities, well, well, good for you, and good luck. Notice, in each of these milestone years, you were starting something. You weren't focused on some distant end, but rather on what you were starting and on short-term successes. Also, there's one set of issues that throws the entire career life cycle theory out the window. This is it. If you find yourself worrying about company politics, if you feel you're being undervalued, and you can point to actual issues to illustrate specific events, if you believe you're not accomplishing anything, and most importantly, if you believe that others do not see your value, then you probably need to move on before you're moved out. I've said this thousands of times to clients. If you feel threatened in your job, if you feel you're in trouble, if you feel your security is at risk, you probably are, and it probably is. Well, I prefer facts over intuition. If your intuition is telling you you're in trouble, you should start looking objectively at the facts to either confirm or dispel your opinions. Plus, at the end of the day, it never hurts to find out if there is a higher bidder out there. So if you want to be successful, regardless of your career direction, go start something. As always, if you have comments or questions about this podcast or any non-clinical career issues, don't hesitate to contact me at 720-339-3585. That's for voice, message, or text. And as a special offer to podcast listeners, if you'd like a free copy of my book, The Physician's Guide to Non-Clinical Careers, just send me a text and say I'd like a free copy of your book. For now, this is Robert Pretty for Third Evolution. Thanks for listening. <laughs>